0: Good evening, everyone. Good evening. And you know, it is warm. And it's cozy and nice in here, isn't it? I can't guarantee the same for this time tomorrow morning. And uh, we'll, we'll see it, but we're glad that you're here tonight uh, on, the, uh, on the edge of the coal front coming in. So uh, welcome, everyone. This evening, we're here to observe the birthday, the living legacy of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther Jean. King jr Tonight, I'm reminded of dr. King's words When he said our lives begin to end The day we become silent about things that matter Tonight we come together in solidarity as a bulwark against complacency against apathy and To support one another as we give voice through all means possible to the timeless and I would add sacred causes of justice and peace. To help us with both this personal and communal endeavor, we're grateful to have with us courageous and stalwart leaders from varying backgrounds and disciplines whose vocational commitments and convictions exemplify this call of Dr. King by calling out injustice while furthering equity and the possibility for all people, wherever their journey may take them. While fuller introductions will be made in just a moment, I do want to personally acknowledge the Rothko Chapel's 2017 Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. speaker, artist Ed Dwight, who took time from his busy schedule to travel from Denver, Colorado to be with us this evening. Mr. Dwight, thank you so much for making that journey. Thank you. I also want to say thanks to three friends of the chapel for participating in this evening's program. Dr. Alvia Wardlaw from Texas Southern University, Harris County Commissioner, uh, excuse me, (laughs) Rodney Ellis, now, that's only payback because I remember at the, mark, at the uh, Oscar Romero, we had a little pause there, too, but uh, Rodney Ellis. I always get confused because I always have you as a senator, because when I started this work, you were a senator. Now you're Harris County, but welcome, Rodney. And then uh, Melanie Lawson, who is uh, out checking the weather right now as we speak, <laughs> who just got off the uh, live TV report, but she'll be in in just a minute. So as we move into tonight's program, I'm gonna ask you to do one thing and it has two parts. Look at this and please turn this off and please refrain from taking photos. Um, for in doing so, you more fully acknowledge each other's presence and at the same time, honor the place that you're in, the artwork that surrounds you, and this wonderful gift that was given to us by John and Dominique de Manil. It's now my pleasure to introduce to you my colleague, Ashley Clemmer, the chapel's director of programs and community engagement, a long title that can really be effectively reduced to simply saying, tonight's chief program curator. Ashley works enormous hours and puts a lot of creative time and energy in ensuring that the chapel's programs are of top quality and really do involve and engage the most of the community that we can reach. Ashley will give you a little more background as to the genesis for tonight's program, introduce our speakers more fully and properly, and describe the format for tonight. Again, I wanna thank you very much for being here this evening. I look forward to visiting with you, and I hope you look forward to visiting with each other uh, on the plaza at the reception after tonight's talk and the president of Barnett Newman's Broken Obelisk. And as you know, and if you don't know, first time introduction, a piece of public work, an artwork that gives voice and perpetuity to the life and legacy of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., who we are here to honor this evening, Ashley.
1: good evening everyone it is an honor and kind of impossible task that i've been given to introduce the four incredible people here on stage in exactly five minutes Um, so bear with me for tonight's program monumental decisions art politics and social responsibility we could think of none other than the four individuals that you see on this stage to really explore this conversation And the one man in particular who I want to spend the majority of this introduction focusing on, Mr. Ed Dwight, was really the ideal person in thinking of monuments and the exploration of monuments in this country. So this man's resume reads, former Air Force test pilot and America's first black astronaut candidate, IBM systems engineer, civil aviation consultant, executive pilot, real estate and construction entrepreneur, and restaurateur. <laughs> and this was all before devoting the next 39 years of his life to art endeavors. Since his s- serious art career began in 1978, Dwight has become one of the most prolific and insightful sculptors in America creating over 128 monuments, memorials, public art installations, chronicling the many contributions of African Americans to the America's landscape. Born in Kansas City, Ed Ed left to join the US Air Force in 1953. After pilot training, Ed obtained a degree in aeronautical engineering from Arizona State University and served as an officer and pilot. In 1961, He was chosen by President John Kennedy to enter the Air Force's experimental test pilot school as a prerequisite to becoming America's first black astronaut. Unfortunately, the assassination of President Kennedy terminated any chance for Ed to go into space. In 1966, after 14 years in the military, he left the Air Force. After operating several private businesses in Denver, He rekindles his initial love for art and in 1977 earned a master's degree in fine arts from the University of Denver. In 1974, the state of Colorado offered him a commission to create a series of bronzes entitled Black Frontier Spirit in the American West to honor the contributions of African Americans in settling the American frontier. In 1980, he received his first large-scale commission of Frederick Douglass from the National Park Service. Recent memorials include an underground railroad memorial in downtown Patterson, New Jersey, a memorial to Medgar Evers on the Alcorn University campus in Mississippi, the Denmark Versi Memorial for the city of Charleston, South Carolina, and his largest memorial to date, which is really what introduced the chapel to him and his work, which is the Texas African American History Memorial recently installed on the state capitol grounds in Austin, Texas, and dedicated to the emancipation of the slaves on Juneteenth Day. I also wanna lift up a couple additional sculptures that that Houston is very fortunate to have here in our city, and that's in Herman Park stands a life-size sculpture of Reverend Dr. King, and at the George Bush Intercontinental Airport lives the Mickey Leland sculpture. Now, while I still have three more people to introduce, so just bear with me, I think it's impossible to read a bio like that without taking a moment to just give this man a warm round of applause. Now, I think many of you know these other individuals on stage, and you know that they have equally long resumes. Um, So I'm just going to lift up a couple things. Rodney Ellis represented a Houston district in the state Senate for more than 25 years before assuming his current post as the Harris County Precinct 1 Commissioner. He was recognized as a leader in economic development, education, civil rights, budget issues, responsible environmental policy, tax cuts for the middle class, criminal justice, workforce development. In addition, he served three terms on the Houston City Council, and as Chief of Staff to the late US Congressman, Mickey Leland. Next, we have Dr. Alvia Wardlaw, who serves as the Director and Curator of the University Museum at Texas Southern University, and Professor of Art History. She is the first African American to receive a doctoral degree in art history from the University of Texas at Austin, and currently serves on the boards of the Orange Show Foundation and the Emancipation Park Conservancy in Houston. In addition, she was recently appointed as honorary trustee by Museum of Fine Arts Houston and continues to serve on the scholarly Advisory Committee of the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture as a trustee of Wesley College. And last but not least, joining us tonight as the moderator to help facilitate what I know and you know will be a very rich conversation is Melanie Lawson. Is that all? I have to say one more thing. I have to say at least one more thing, if nothing else, um, which is I would be remiss for not lifting up that um, she is also the daughter of the Reverend Bill Lawson, who is a very significant civil and human rights leader here in Houston, and he's in the audience tonight. So uh, David has already uh, given you the things to be mindful of, turning off your cell phones, uh, just holding off on those photos until you go outside. As you see, we are documenting this entire experience, so you don't have to worry. It's all going to be waiting for you later. Um, So we're going to begin tonight's talk with Mr. Dwight sharing a little bit about his journey and talking about this talk topic of monuments, and then Melanie will lead a moderated conversation. And don't you worry, I'm sure that many of you have things that you want to ask, so there will be some time at the end for you to ask those questions. And then because there is clearly more conversation to have and knowledge to share than what can occur in this 90-minute period, we invite all of you all to join us on the plaza for a reception afterwards. Thank you all. Join me again in welcoming them.
2: thank you thank you thank you uh i want to thank all of you i didn't realize this was going to be a full house uh, yeah. uh i really want to specially thank the Rothko uh uh the Rothko family and david and kelly and ashley who were uh, very patient i'm kind of hard to get along with sometime and uh and they they called and uh, stayed with me and all that uh, all that sort of thing uh, and and I've got to uh, 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 thank uh, Dr. Wardlow, who, uh, Dr. Wardler doesn't remember it, but uh, 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 I had a workshop at your school some time. <laughs> that's been a long, long time ago when I was just getting started. I kind of didn't know what I was doing, but I wish she was kind enough to give me a workshop. <laughs> uh, what can I say about Commissioner <laughs> Uh, uh, Rodney Ellis. Uh, this guy uh, has been with me uh, for a really long time. He didn't know me from Adam and somebody recommended him to this uh, strange guy in Denver, Colorado uh, and, and, and he jumped in there and was on my side and worked me through the whole Mickey Leland issue because uh, monuments and public art, uh, people just think somebody makes the decision to put them up there, and all of a sudden, like magic, uh, they get up there, Uh, and Rodney picked me up at the airport yesterday and took me to church. We was in church for two hours. (laughs) Now, I live across the street from, uh, uh, I'll tell you about some more, I'm a Catholic, right? Uh, and so, so Rodney takes me to the church now. I was cool, because I lived across the street from a, a Holy Roller church. And they, and they really got down. <laughs> and, and so Rodney took me to church, and then Rodney had to uh, show me his art collection, and I had no idea this man had an art collection like this. But uh, uh, it was really enlightening, mostly from Africa. and. Uh, and, and he showed me some stuff that, uh, I was very, very familiar with African sculptures, but not African painters. And, and and this man has a collection that's totally out of this world. And, but I thought he was gonna stop there. He took me to his office. <laughs> Another hour or so. <laughs> uh, so so we finally, we, uh, you know, finally we got home and uh, we had, had been up since four o'clock the, the, the day before, I mean, to, to get here. So so it was an exhausting day to say the least, but I love you, man, i to tell you this, he's, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, he's totally my man. Uh, uh, you know, I, I would like to fill in a couple of blanks. you did pretty good with the, uh, uh, with, with the uh, uh, you know, the intro, uh, because the intro, uh, I, I was thinking the other day, uh, anybody's ever gone to a winery, uh, you know, and I want you to think of a funnel, okay, and putting all these grapes with the stems and everything in the funnel, you know, and something happens in the funnel and at and the, the bottom of the funnel comes out a great glass of wine. And so that's kind of what my career has been about. Uh, and, and it's been about doing a whole bunch of different things and ending up trying to find a purpose for, for life and, and uh, and, and Dr. King's view, uh, his whole view is about service really and, and, and all of his speeches and all that kind of stuff. I've done seven memorials to Dr. King. And in the process of, of doing all those seven memorials, uh, uh, my methodology uh, of finding the truth is to read and read and uh, listen to every speech uh, that this man did. Uh, and I, I and I learned so much, but I got I got to back up a little bit because, in the process of me doing all of these things that she was announcing, there's this myth that uh, that uh, I, I was this scientist guy and this astronaut guy and this pilot guy, and, and I left there and I got into art because I don't have nothing else to do. Uh, uh, you know, you know, a lot of people that's what they do—they retire into art, you know. Uh, but that's kind of not what happened. Uh, it turns out that art was my main life. And the engineering and all that other stuff was a sidebar, okay? Uh, I, I was, uh, Buckminster Fuller, the great architect, uh, uh, they were uh, interviewing the dude and he says, uh, what, what's the thing that made you the greatest architect in the world? And, and he says, uh, being born to a great mother and so i i you know i I thought about that and i said dude you ain't got nothing on me because i was born to the greatest woman in ever that walked the face of this earth and she was really brilliant my mother was from sioux city iowa staunch catholic she looked like she was white and her whole family in sioux city iowa passing for white now that has some meaning later in the in the in my my little talk here because uh, my father was a, a played baseball in the, national, uh, in the National Negro Leagues. So they met while he was traveling, okay? Uh, and, that, and that's how they got together. Now my mother is this pristine, college-educated lady that's a Catholic and all that kind of stuff. You see, marries this dude that uh, dropped out of school when he was 68 years old to play baseball. But, but she, she, she had this great idea of, uh, uh, of, of when I came along, I had an older sister by the time I came along. Uh, and, and I was so small, I think she was worried about, but this boy ain't gonna make it, because he's too little. And so she decided to fill my head full of good stuff uh, so that I could survive, so I could navigate this, uh, this life. Uh, so she started me in school at two years old. Now, in 19, this is 1933. 1935, they had equivalent to a, a, a Head Start program to see if little African kids could learn things uh, uh, if they got it started early enough, okay? It was, it was a Dewey Experimental School in Kansas City. And so I started school when I was two, and, 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 and I met that little lady right there who was my classmate,
1: and we got buried later on.
2: <laughs> I've been on this woman for 82 years. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, uh, there, there, there was, uh, we started, school and right away she saw some artistic kind of things going on, okay? Uh, at three, she, she had me in every art class that could ever be, okay? And, and I, I, was, I was running back and forth to art classes and, 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 and going to my little preschool and all that kind of stuff, you know? Uh, and, and at four years old, she decided that she taught me, she taught all of me and my sister how to read really, really early. Uh, because uh, she was a book person, right? And she got me a library card when I was four. And I lived in that library. And I traveled all the world in that library. Of course, they didn't want to give me the card because I was so tiny. And my mama looked like she's white. And she wanted to know, why are you babysitting that little colored boy there, you know? So it, we, we, had some, it's, we had some difficulty with this association between my mom and I, okay? But because they didn't want to give me the books because they thought I'd tear them up. And I became their best customer. And so I spent, uh, I traveled the world uh, in, in, in those books. Uh, so now I'm two and three, and I'm going to art classes and taking all the art. And that art itself was cool, because I was making jewelry. And all the little chicks in the neighborhood said, make me, make me next, do me next. Uh, but by, by the time I was five, my mother was a staunch Catholic. She went to Mass every day right? Uh, so at five I became an altar boy uh, and I served mad for the next 12 years and I missed uh, you know a few days and stuff like that but 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 the art I did my first oil painting at eight at nine she says this you're buying all that art stuff so you gotta get a job so the woman got me two paper routes so now I got two paper and I won but I got two paper routes and I didn't like her very much Cause on in the morning when the when 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 the, when the snowing and stuff like that and and I was so tiny I had to, I had to make three trips back to the thing to pick up the papers because they were too heavy, uh, to to you know to throw them all at one time you know, uh, but 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 at, at the end of the week I had money in my pocket, and that was the coolest part of all you know, at, 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 as, at, as we grew and we we ended up I, we, I lived on a farm. And I'm taking a lot of time with this because this is, a, and to me, the formulation of what people are about almost all their lives, these things that you're learning when you're a kid and the kind of responsibilities and, and, and having this global view of life that I was getting by going to the library. Now, I had one other thing that, that, that was a factor in my life. There was a fantasy factor. And the fantasy factor was I lived within walking distance of the Fairfax airport. And from the time we were little, we would walk down to the Fairfax airport every day. And my mom, I don't know where that woman got all that knowledge, that woman was the smartest woman in the world. She knew all, that, she knew all about astronomy and um, orbital mechanics and all that, North Star, and a, and a Big Dipper and a Little Dipper. You know, and, I, and, and when, I, when I got in the astronaut program to take my astronomy course, I said, my mom told me that you know, a long time ago. So I know all about that, you yeah, know, yeah, 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 all, all, all that kind of stuff. So, but, but I had this dream thing. And what, what I was curious about is, uh, is where these people had been and where they were going. And they're flying these airplanes. So all my spare time I spent down, down there, okay? So, but, but, and then I was, I had to serve mass every day. So I had to see Father Terrence and he taught me how to bird watch. So now my drawings and stuff like that went into birds. I did all these drawings of every bird in the Midwest and everything, and I thought I was the coolest. I thought I'm going down to history. <laughs> Until I saw a book that Audubon did, <laughs> and blew my day. He blew my gig. <laughs> so anyway, so anyway, we we moved downtown, uh, and we had a family restaurant next door, and we were Catholic. Kansas City was segregated so uh, we uh, Mom, uh, and we didn't know mom was doing this so she started back in 1943 to preparing us to go to this white Catholic school and she went out there and obviously they said no so she went to the next level up which is the Holy See in Cincinnati and they said well we can't help you ma'am so my mom wrote the Vatican she did and they says you will desegregate that school, and so I went out there all apprehensive, uh, of, you know, because in my elementary school all the teachers were nuns. Now I got to go to where all the kids are white and all that kind of stuff, and 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 I was supposed to get all kind of bad news. But I came to school. I became the school artist. I was a school artist in the elementary school. I became the school artist. I uh, a Bishop Ward. I opened up a sign shop when I was 14 years old uh, for so doing the signage for everybody in Kansas City, Kansas. I had the churches, I had the businesses, and, and I bought my first car when I was 14 years old from the money that I was from, from doing signs, okay? And so c- come, come high school time, uh, well, I gotta tell you this now. I was a little bitty dude. So I got beat up a lot. So at 13 years old, I joined a boxing club. And I fought. In the, I fought in, the, in the, uh, uh, for five years as a boxer, and I, I ended up winning the Glo- Golden Gloves championship of the state of Kansas. So I was good. I lost my first fight. <laughs> you know, I was good. But 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 in the meantime, I go out to Bishop Ward and and I excel out there. I ran football, and ran track, and I played football, and uh, and I did all these wonderful things. Became the school artist. What I didn't know, uh, uh, and and I I, I had. Uh, done three paintings and when the nun submitted these paintings to the Kansas State uh, Art schol- Scholastic thing and I won the first three rab- ribbons in it. Now, if, if the judges had been slick and went to the library and, and saw those encyclopedias that I stole those paintings out of, <laughs> those Renaissance paintings, <laughs> I don't know whether they've ever done that. But the issue was, I'm taking a little time on this because this is the beginnings of, of something that, that I had wanted to be an artist, to make a long story short. So I got a scholarship to the Kansas City Art Institute, and everything was working for me. I was happy, and my man sat down with me and said, son, what are you going to do with your life? And he said, I, I said, I'm going to be an artist. He said, no, you're not, because I'm not going to take care of you the rest of your life. And I said, well, what do you think i ought to do? He said, you're going to be an engineer. I was thinking he was talking about a train engineer, you know, the driver. I said, what, well, I'm drive no train, <laughs> probably you. And he said, no, boy. I said, well, Dan, what did they do? Uh, you know, and he said, you had to be there, and you'll find out. You just apply for an engineering school. So I was gonna out slick him. I was gonna do a, a deal in architectural engineering, right? So I could draw, right, yeah. Uh, and so I enrolled in engineering school, and I was moving along in engineering school, And I was still throwing papers all this time. So the cover of one of the newspapers uh, was a, 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 because I had looked at this pilot stuff. This was my secret thing, the pilot deal, you know, because I never thought I'd be gonna be no pilot. Come on, let's get real. I really wanted to be an artist because all the planes were driven by white guys, you know? And I, I didn't know they would let a black guy near it except to clean it out because when I was going to the airport when I was a kid, I got a nickel and a dime. That's where I hung out there for cleaning out the airplanes when these guys came back from hunting trips, okay? And, and so that was my gig, uh, you know, and my imagination, my dreams were just rolling and this, they were going to be, uh, what, this play of the play thing in my mind, okay? <laughs> Uh, 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 so so, in the meantime, I, I, I submit to, uh, to go to engineering school, uh, and, and on my paper route, there was a guy on the front page of the Kansas City Call, a black newspaper in Kansas City, and it was a black pilot from Kansas City, and it was five foot four inches tall, like me. And I said, damn, they're letting black folks fly airplanes. So I immediately applied Uh, locally, and they told me to go to the devil, you know. So I wrote the Pentagon, like my mother wrote the Vatican, and they said, yes. (laughs) So so they sent me to Denver, uh, and they sent 33 of us to Denver, Colorado, uh, uh, to test for pilot training. And what had happened was, from 12 years old up to the time I left, they had a, a set of books in that library and I had been taking the test at the end of, I had been studying these books about flying, learning how to fly. And at the end of the chapter was a test. And I got to Denver and I looked at this test. And I said, Oh my God, I've seen these things before. <laughs> and I aced it. Oh, no, I lied. I missed two questions. And I took it up and the guy said, They're too tough for you, huh? I said, No, I think I missed about a two. And the guy said, He did. And he called my mom and dad, your son's a genius. <laughs> the boy, he was a genius. And I wasn't no genius. I was just doing it in my, in my little play, little world, okay? So anyway, I joined, I ended up joining the Air Force. We'll kind of speed this thing up now. I ended up joining the Air Force. Uh, and and, my, and I, f- I finished my uh, aeronautical engineering degree because I had two years before I went in. And I, and I started, uh, 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 I went on and got my aeronautical engineering after I got in. Uh, and I was teaching. Okay, and this is an interesting thing with this concept about teaching, kind of, I was a flight instructor in uh, my first assignment, and and this whole idea of dealing with people and and teaching them things that are really, really difficult, and flying is a difficult task. Uh, You know, so you end up getting, building personalities and dealing with people. Uh, They're washing out. All of the foreign students, all the Iraqis who were, who were coming in, the Iranis. And I watched that happen and, and, because the white pilots didn't want to bother with them. And so I went to my boss and I said, you know, why don't you give those guys to me? And I took every one of those things because they were failing them. And I took every one of those foreign students and I set them down. Uh, and it was language barrier it was a big thing, but I was very patient with them. And I graduated all of them. So I learned something about this idea of, of, te- of being patient and teaching people things, okay? So I, I, I went into service, excelled, did really, really well. They sent me to Japan, and, and I was on the wing staff. I, I, I out flew all of my contemporaries, because I love to fly. Uh, I went to Japan, was operating on the wing staff, and now I'm, I'm, I'm on the wing staff, and I'm watching. Uh, I'm navigating my way through this white man's world is really what I'm doing. And I'm seeing how they do things. I'm seeing how they operate systems. I'm seeing what kind of considerations that they have. Uh, and, and all this stuff is being built in my head. Uh, and I, you know, I was walking around having a good time. I came back to the United States. Uh, uh, went to work again in the wing staff. I did very, very well. They put, they put me on a fast track. Uh, uh, in in the military, uh, where I was promoted earlier than everybody else. Uh, And and then November the 4th changed my life, 1963, uh, 1961. I got a letter from Washington, D.C. asking me if I wanted to be an astronaut. Uh, And and the reason, uh, we had 125 black pilots in the whole world, right? And 90 of them were Tuskegee Airmen. So what they did, they, they they really didn't want a black astronaut, really what the deal was. And so they say, you've got to be under 30. Well, all the Tuskegee Airmen were under 30. Yeah, had to have so much flying time, and I had more than that. I was 27 years old. Uh, and I had all these qualifications, so my card fell out, you know? And, and I say, well, do it. should I do this or not? I, and so my commanders don't do this. Don't pay any attention and all that. So I, because those guys are crazy, you know? So, be, so, so being an astronaut wasn't on my bucket list. So I don't, I don't want to spend a whole bunch more time on that. The whole issue was the astronaut experience was, well, they didn't treat me very good and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but the good news is I was operated out of the White House. I had my handler was in the West Wing uh, and I was operating, I was back and forth in Washington and I was meeting senators and congressmen and all that kind of stuff. And I'm getting this world view of, of, of how politics works and, and how, and, uh, and all that, you know. And back in the back of my mind is this art thing, okay? when when the president got killed, I was on my own. Uh, president Johnson came me in, patted me on the head. Oh, great job, son. We're proud of what you did. But I gotta have my own black astronaut. And I want you to help me keep finding, you know? And I said, ooh, this is some heavy stuff these guys are laying on me. But the promise was, you're going into space. Okay, you're going in space, but my guy is going to go there first, okay, uh, because you're a Kennedy guy, uh, right? And so I played around with that for a little while, and I decided that I better, I better hit the bricks and get, and get out of the military. And I did get out of the military, and I, and I, went, in, and I went to work for IBM. Now, I, uh, and I was a star there because I took a lot of NASA programs that I was familiar with, because I was in the program for four years, some computer programs, and bought them to the front, race, so I became a star. And so uh, IBM was you're gonna be our first black vice president. I said, no, I'm not, I've been through the first thing once. <laughs> you ain't you're gonna put me into being first of nothing. But what happened there, they had bought uh, uh, a new building and I know used to wear these orange ties to, uh, to work and you know, my little orange puffs and stuff. And my father called me and said, dude, where the we, we kind of clothes that I have you, know? you know? Uh, and I said, you know, where my clothes, are, I quit. So he said, well, I got a job for you. We need to decorate our building. Uh, and you're gonna do it, uh, not make the art, but, but you're gonna manage the, the, build, I mean, uh, the decorations building. So I said, fine, you know, and I went to galleries and I started, bringing the art in, and, and, and they said, no, no, that's not what we want. So I was going to Boulder, my office in Boulder, and I had this crazy idea. I, I went to their publications, and I drew down 200 IBM publications. And I, we, my kids and I went down to the basement, and we made collages of their own, on their own brochures, and I had them in these color fields, and I framed it with non-glare glass, and I took them down there, and this is exactly what we want, right? <laughs> this is it. Man, where'd you find this guy I said i found him he's good <laughs> he, you know, he's good the boy's good <laughs> so 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 30 so 30 uh, paintings later you know and a whole bunch of metal sculpture work later that i had there because i really kind of got into metal sculpture work okay uh, uh, uh you know i i uh, he why they can't pay you because you work for him. So, former a company. So, I formed this company, and I, and, and, and I wrote a ch- him an invoice, and he doubled the amount of money. I said, "Damn, you can make you can make money with this art and stuff." Uh, but, but I quit IBM because they try to send they tried to promote me out. So, I quit IBM, and that's where all this other stuff comes in. I opened up a chain of restaurants, and, and I had a, a aviation executive aviation where we we're flying people all over the country, and I was just doing everything he could possibly do. I, I was at a meeting and this biggest builder in Denver, Colorado comes up to me and he says, man, I've been listening to you talk, right? He said, you're the smartest colored man I ever met in my life. And I said, dude, you haven't met very many colored men, have you? <laughs> and he says, how much you make, a couple hundred thousand a month? I said, man, get out of here. And he says, if you want to make a couple hundred thousand a month, call me. And so next day, you know, I called this guy, I had about 20 suits, and I, and I sent his, his card his car was in my pocket, and I was looking up for this card <laughs> for, for weeks. I was looking, trying to find this card, and it was in my pocket. Anyway, I met this guy, and, and, and by 4 o'clock, we, we had Dwight Development Associates. And this guy got me millions, a couple of million dollars in lines of credit, and he told me to meet me at his house. Uh, and, and 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 I, I, I said at ten thirty at night, you know, first at that first day, I said, man, this guy's a pervert. <laughs> I, said, I ain't going to your house at ten thirty at night. <laughs> and, and so I get out there, and his beautiful wife meets me at the door, and I says, thank God. <laughs> So, but anyway, my long story short, this guy taught me the construction business, okay? I was out of this house from 10, to 10, to 10 the night till 3 o'clock every morning for six months, every night. And I ended up with one of the largest general contracting businesses. And why I'm telling you this is because memorial building is not unlike uh, building apartments and condominiums. I built the whole city of Parker uh, where you got to consider not only the things that are above ground, you got to consider the things that are below ground. Okay, and artists today, you know, they want to do the art thing, but there's, there's infrastructure, there's site selection, there's 10 tons and tons of things that you got to consider uh, when you're building a memorial, because it's just like building uh, a building, okay? And, 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 and in the meantime, while I got my, uh, got my uh, construction company, I, and, I, I, and I had all the stuff, the Cooter. I had a Porsche and a Mercedes, and uh, it was my Vista doing a, Cru- a cruising, Barbara's Cadillac, <laughs> and a little blue Volkswagen, and a big truck with the roll bars with the lights and all that kind of stuff on it. So, so I, was, I was on this roll. And, and in 1974, we elected the first black lieutenant governor in the state of Colorado. And George called me, and and, and I, I had an art show because I was picking up all these little pieces of metal on my construction sites, uh, and I was taking them home, and on the weekends I was welding them together. I was making all this art because we had bought this big house, and I was decorating my house. So I, so I was taking paintings and putting sculptures on, paintings. and. And, and so George Brown was over my house and I had an art show and I sold 45 I'd made 60 pieces I sold 45 pieces of all this metal constructed art right and so George comes me to his office at the Capitol building and George says right I was over what he did he bought three of my pieces and then he paid me for them. that's how it started so I ended, up, I ended up over his office and he said, Ed, they want to do a sculpture of me as the first black lieutenant governor for the state of Colorado, and so it's going to go in the capitol building. I said, George, why are you talking to me? And he says, because you're going to do it. And I said, George, I don't model. I weld things together. You're going to do this sculpture of me because I've got big plans for your life. Now what you do is you go down to the library and you get a book, and you teach yourself how to do this, and I want this sculpture of me, because when I get through with you, if you'll listen, uh, you're gonna want to be one of the greatest sculptors that ever lived. And and I said, George, uh, uh, how's that gonna happen? he said, well, let me tell you something. He said, you know, black people have been on this continent for 300 years plus, okay, and there's nobody, recording anything that black people have ever done. And I looked at George and I says, what do black people do? <laughs> I had this white education, and he looked at me and he called me a, a bad word. <laughs> you know, And he said, Ed, he said, man, like, you, you, I mean, you was in the space program and, and you was giving all these speeches. What the hell did you say to these people that you were talking to, uh, you know? Uh, and I said, I told him to be like me. You <laughs> an you could be an astronaut like me. That's what I told him. Uh, and he said, well, you are totally pitiful with the narrows. I was living in this bubble, you know. Uh, you know. And he says, have you ever heard of Harriet Tubman? I said, what does she do? I said, Frederick Douglass? What do you do? George Washington Carver? Mm. I said, I ain't never heard Buffalo Soldiers, you know? Nat Turner, help Ed, somebody, you have gotta know somebody. I said, no, I have no idea who, who these people are. What are you talking about? And what did they do? And he said, Ed, hey, look, here, here I, I, I'm gonna help you with that, but what I want you to do, I want you to take that jet you got out there, and I want you to fly around this country, starting in Washington, D.C., and I want you to go to every museum, city park, Gallery, think of it, and I want you to find me some black images. And I said, "This dude's crazy, man!" But I'm gonna go do it. So I went. I came to Washington D.C. and I uh, took four thousand pictures of all these sculptures and stuff. And I, very humbly, I went back, to George, and I said, "You're right. I could not find any black imagery in the public in the public domain, George." So he had eight books that he had stacked and I don't know where he got these books. He said, you go read these books and you come back and see me because I've got a huge project for you that the state of Colorado is gonna give you. Uh, And we wanna know why blacks came west. And so I took, got my library book and went down there with my Polaroid cabinet with my calipers and I was measuring, oh well, see, in 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 the in the white folks' instruction book, they're all white people. And so black people have a little wider noses than white people do sometimes, uh, you know. And they have a little thicker lips, you know. And so I'm trying to distinguish between, you know, is this, uh, where can I buy a book that's got black lips and black noses and stuff, you know. So, so I know how to model them and stuff, uh, you know. Uh, but, but I got over that. Uh, and, uh, and this is a true story. One month later, I had George come over to my house. I did it all wrong. He's supposed to do it in clay, and I did it in wax. And George came over to my house, uh, and I took his glasses off and put it on the thing, and it fit perfectly. And his uh, Rosemary started crying, oh, my God, you know. So I finished that, that sculpture, uh, and now uh, uh, I have a commission paid for by the state of Colorado. And I'm doing all the rest of this stuff. And so what I did, I got so interested in this, I dropped all the rest of that stuff and enrolled at the University of Denver uh, and got into the master's degree program at the University of Denver. And I got a problem. My degrees are in engineering and they had bachelor degrees and I didn't have a bachelor's degree in art. And so I had to take my little portfolio out to Belstron and explain to him that, I, you know. And so I went in as a TA teaching assistant and six months later I was running the sculpture department. And I, I ran the sculpture department there for four years. But I learned, because uh, I, I didn't know a damn thing about art. That's what I came to the conclusion. I knew nothing about art systems, how they worked, uh, you know, and the Catholicism, and, the, and how all this stuff worked, and the, all, all the art movements. So that's, where I, that's what I, I didn't learn a darn thing. I was really trying to find out how to model. So I got, I got this project, you know, I got to make horses, and I got to make cowboys, and I got to make all these things. But, but, but here I was, I did, I did, in the master's program, they assume you already know how to do all that stuff. But so I spent a lot of time doing art history, uh, but, I, but I had to teach myself how to, how to model and all that kind of stuff. And so I, I got that project finished. We, we I, uh, the Park Service jumped all over it. And the next thing you know, uh, uh, they called me up and said, Dwight. We saw a magazine article on this wonderful thing, but I didn't do eight sculptures like they asked. I got so excited about what I was, I got this whole brand new world that I'm looking at. Black folks, did man, they did so much stuff. I I can't find all the stuff that they did, you know. So I ended up with 50 bronzes in this thing, not eight. Because, you know, the first black jockey was black, the jockey wasn't the most Kentucky Derby jockey, I mean, was black, and the Buffalo Soldiers, and the Seminole Scouts, and Rodeo Cowboys, and Bill Pickett, and uh, I mean, I was just going crazy uh, with, with, with recording all of these black images, okay? So the Park Service got a hold of it uh, uh, and invited me to, to St. Louis, uh, they say, we want you to come to St. Louis, and get some public uh, exposure uh, to you. So I was there. I was supposed to be there for, uh, for two weeks. They extended the show for, for three months because of popular demand. Uh, and I talked to them and they let me sell. And I, talk, I said, you can't sell in a, in a, a, a government apartment. You're out of your mind. And I said, you know, you got that gift shop over there. Uh, and you all sell all kinds of stuff out of that gift shop. I said, I'm not going to put no prices on the, on the sculptures. But, but they had a little number on there, and they walk in there, and they can say, I want number four. <laughs> and I shipped 40 bronzes around the world out of that show. They sent me to Harper's Ferry, uh, and they said, we've been looking for you for the last five years. I said, well, what, what? We've been, we have five memorials that we want a black sculptor to do because we thought it was appropriate that a, but we couldn't find a qualified black sculpture to do these things. And lo and behold, I, they gave me, <laughs> Frederick Douglas was the first one they gave me, uh, uh, and I said, this is, it. I'm in the memorial business. And I'm sitting up there, and he said, we assume you've done a, a lot of you know, large-scale pieces, life so you know, and I lied. I said, oh, yeah, I've done a <laughs> few. He said, got any slides? I said, oh, man, I left them at home. God, I forgot. I'll send them to you. <laughs> okay. uh, so, so anyway, Ike Hoover was my handler. And, and so bigger than the devil, and now I'm in the, I'm in the memorial business, okay? And so now for, uh, from there... Uh, because of the context system, how the system works, I, I ended up. Uh, 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 Vice President Coca-Cola saw my work, and says, "We need you in Atlanta to do, the high, uh, uh, do a show at the High Museum." Now, I didn't. I thought I mean museum. Jesus Christ! I didn't know the High Museum was about the fifth-rated museum in the United States of America. Oh my God! The next thing I you know, I'm at the High Museum. And, and, and then from the High Museum, I met Tom Cousins, who, who sold all the stuff to Ted Turner. And, and, and so, uh, they, uh, I, he invited me over to his house, and he says, Dwight, uh, Mr. Dwight, what do you want? Now, he had bought five of my Western Cowboy pieces already. And he said, what do you want? I said, I don't know. <laughs> and, he, and he says, how, how would you like to do Hank care in the stadium? I, I'm out, I'm down, I'm down. Uh, well, I had, I had done for every Douglas, right? And so Hank Aaron at the stadium, are you out of your mind? No. And he had given the contract to Felix de Weldon already. And Felix de Weldon is the guy that did the Uwo Jima statue in Washington, D.C., right? And so he had Bob Hunter, his assistant, call the, guy, call the artist. And he says, dude, how much was your net profit on, 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 on the Hank Aaron statue? Uh, and the guy says, 60000 so Tom Cotter wrote him a check for $60,000 and said, Dwight, you, you got it, it's yours. And from there, it expanded and I, and I was, there are 13 memorials in Atlanta, okay? And, but the one that changed my life and changed my mind and changed my whole idea uh, because, uh, you know, I was gliding into this space about making money, you know, because George said, you know, I know guys that make 10 million. So I was gliding into this space about making money, but I was kinda of doing something else good on the side, you know, uh, and, and the third memorial I got, uh, uh, Coretta Scott King came to the unveiling of Ink uh, Iron and she said, can I talk to you this evening, Mr. Dwight? So we met at the hotel and they came in through the kitchen with her entourage, I don't know what that was all about. We sat down and said, so we want to do a sculpture of Dr. King from Morehouse College. And, 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 it, and it was going to be uh, uh, nine or 10 feet tall. My God, I'm going nine or 10 feet tall, that's twice as tall as I am, oh my God, what am I going to, <laughs> Jesus, you know. Uh, and, and, you know and, and, and I did this for more, but what he did, it introduced me to this man uh, that, uh, and, 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 and I got I to go back and tell you, I might have said this before, I got to go back and tell you, Dr. King was dead set against me being an astronaut. And, and his reasoning, I didn't know it then. I was upset at the time. But the reason it, 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 uh, it, he did it, it was this shiny object thing. That, you know, He said, now, the federal government is a, is a solution to our temporary problem until we can get economic development in corporate America. So the government's got to stand in. Now, if we accept that astronaut guy, astronaut thing, that's gonna take, they, when we ask for more law, for equal justice and opening up accommodations, they're gonna say, we gave you an astronaut, so get the devil out of here, okay? And so I, I didn't get that, that whole concept until later. But now I got this man, and I've got a, I, I read every speech this man ever did in his life, and I said, where in the, where does this guy get all this information and all this knowledge? This guy could do things with words that, that blows your socks off. I mean, that guy, I, I would sit down and analyze this. This man could, could give a speech. Uh, he, he, he could inspire the downtrodden. He could activate the able and speak truth to power in the same lecture. And I'm going, what is this, this guy got something going over here. So I, I, I began to, to, to allow him to, to uh, and, and his whole attitude was, if you're a teacher, first of all, you gotta get access to your students. And he was a teacher. And his mind, uh, 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 he was teaching not only the, the white community, but he was also teaching the black community because we were in the woods lost until this man came along. We had no voice, okay? And, you know and, and here this guy had had this voice that that uh, and it was all uh, language that Don tried to could understand and, and, and if you listen to him he he, he he would assume that you didn't understand that part uh, uh, and so he would explain it and if you listen to his speech and what I meant by that is this okay and and that was his genius and so here this guy had this world-class Never before, uh, and I had read all the Fred. When I did Frederick Douglass, I had listened to every speech Frederick Douglass ever made. Okay, and and so he was doing a little bit of pirating out of Frederick Douglass, but that's okay. That works because when you're teaching, you use everything you can get. But 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 here I saw I saw this guy, and and, and you have to interpret. You have to have a message of interpretation to, to not only the downtrodden, but you're trying to get the people's attention, that you, you need their attention for, to make any kind of progress. And that was, is what he was all about. And so all of a sudden in my brain, I started looking, you know, this guy is a messenger and, and, you know, and, and I should be, that should be the purpose of my memorials. My memorials should be a teaching tool, just like he had a teaching tool and he, and he used his vocabulary alone uh, to To teach people at every level equally, and so I said, "Well, I got to do the same thing." I never anticipated this man would die, of course, but but but, but here he had to, he, and, and I had thought about messaging the masses, you know, and I had really thought about it in all my studies at college, you know, and I, and I began to start thinking back in time. Woo, uh, hmm. Uh, Cath. I grew up in the Catholic Church. Man, did they have centuries and centuries of art, every kind of piece of art you could find, every guy's going into heaven, paintings in the ceiling and Sistine chapel to, to manage and, and to keep hold, if you will, of their flock, okay? So that, that was kind of an art weapon, okay? It started in Egypt, you know, when the pharaohs was doing art and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, as a tool. Okay, uh, the, we move forward, and I, and I hate to say this in this crowd, but Hitler Germany was equally uh, as message-oriented. Think, all the art that they used, the symbols, the icons, and stuff like that, to control a mass of people. Okay, after our Civil War, ah, we, we're talking about some some serious messaging uh, with, with all the Confederate. Uh, 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 statues that came out. Now it would have been it would have been interesting if those statues had come out in eighteen sixty six, eighteen sixty seven. It's not what happened. They made those things as late as nineteen sixty. You know, and, and so now we're, I'm sit- sitting here thinking about this man is doing what these people were doing with objects, but he was doing it with words. You know, and everybody quotes Dr. King's words. Uh, you know. And so his words were as powerful and as strong as all that Catholic uh, art and, and all those Confederate uh, things, his words have held as long as that bronze is there. That's what I was fascinated by, for, for Dr. King. And so now this man has given me permission to tell, to speak truth to power. He gave me permission to talk to the people, who, who to interpret for the people who really didn't get it, okay? So, so my memorials all of a sudden changed, and I'm saying, I got, I got a little power, I got a little message here. Uh, uh, but, uh, but uh, uh, and, and, and I got to bring the people along, but, but the people I want to teach, these things have to be at the right sites. See, see you, you can't take a memorial like it's on that Capitol ground and take it and put it in the middle of the ghetto, because you are speaking to the choir right what you want is is the people that you want to impress and to change their minds you want to put these things in, in the public square okay so they can see them and, and, and end up changing their minds okay so now it, it all began and so my memorials got bigger they got more interpretive but my problem was I was getting resistance like you cannot believe on, on, on the interpretation of my imagery okay and and it was from the black community not the white community because the black community said dude if you put slaves and stuff on there we're gonna lose our jobs now what are you talking about you know what well, don't do it we'll lose our jobs Dwight you live up north you don't live down here in the South okay so you don't understand what's going on down here. So take all that stuff off those memorials so, so, so we're allowed uh, uh, to keep our jobs and keep our dignity because otherwise these white people are going to get mad at us. If you put one guy on there with a chain, the white people are going to get mad at us and they'll fire us all. As a matter of fact, the head of the committee in South Carolina was a Ph.D. He was a head, uh, number two in the South Carolina public school system in, in this education. And he called me down and he said, right? What we want, we want an abstract thing, man. What we want is just get a piece of granite and put it there and put some writing along the side of it and, and put an African flag on it. And I says, What country? What do you mean? I said, Africa's got fifty-four countries now. <laughs> which, which flag do you want to use? You know? So I don't care. You know that one that we always use over here, you know? You know, and and, and, and so I told the guy, I said, dude, if you're gonna if you're going to lose your job behind these shoes, you, you should lose your job anyway. Because this is not, if that sculpture is going to lose your job, then you got a problem. Okay? And if you want me to tell a lie like we've been getting all these years, find somebody else. Okay? And so, so, so I, I became empowered to fight back, but the resistance is, is always still there like in South Carolina, you have a picture of the South Carolina Memorial. Two of the greatest black men in South Carolina that will not put those on the the memorial. Uh, Denmark Vesey and Robert Smalls, okay? So so, uh, so, so anyway, I I got my signal to set my mouth. (laughs) So, but to get the idea of where I'm going, okay, with this. And so so all my memorials and the Texas memorials is, is indicative. Of, of the kind of things that we've got to do now, what's happening now is we've got an opening, we've got an opportunity here, and we got to get organized in the black community uh, first, and then with white help from the white community as well. Okay, uh, uh, to we, we, we've got to, we have no more. We don't have a Dr. King, we don't have a messenger. Okay, you will find nobody up there that's got the me- that's carrying the message. So the only thing we have left. Uh, there are other things probably but public art uh, because the, the other uh, memorials are coming down uh, we have an opportunity to get uh, uh, good art quality art quality memorials that interpret what, what, what our needs are and what happened so that we can get some legitimate honest help from the larger community and convince the larger community that we were here because they're convinced now because of the Muslim brand, because we're being stereotyped and associated with the Muslims. Uh, Because all the meetings that we're having with these joint meetings for the the committees with whites and blacks so we can bridge the gap, the the white, they've got, they're convinced that black people came over here last week. (laughs) And we've been here 300 years. And, and, And so they believe that. So we, we, we got an opportunity to fight that. So uh, well, I'm calling for a large consortium because uh, capital formation is critically important. Uh, and we, we can talk about that in the, uh, but, but you can't do this stuff without money, to make a long story short. And, and I'm in the, the money raising business because I've got to pay for my memorial. So anyway, thank you, thank you, thank you for having me. Wait a minute. I got, I, I, I'm going I'm to I'm I'm volley through I got one more story about how important these, these things are. In, in South Carolina, you got a picture of it. There's a gap named the name of Vern Smith, uh, 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 and he was in the audience while I, when I made the, 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 the presentation of the joint session. He called me up to his office and said, he said, Mr. Dwight, you really are an intelligent man. Uh, and, and, and so, I don't want you to bring anything down here that's going to that ride our blood because our colors are happy and our whites are happy. And if you bring anything down, it's gonna mess us up. Well, we're gonna be really upset. So, I I did the memorial. I didn't have any figures on it when I made the presentation. I did the memorial. We're standing in front of the education panel on this memorial I did in South Carolina. And and this guy, Burnsway, he walked up to me and he said, Mr. Dwight, uh, he said, Can we talk? And uh, yeah. he put his arm around. We walked around the campus and stuff like that, you know. And we got back to the sculpture. We're standing in front of his education panel. And he said, I got to tell you something. He said, I used to be the grand wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. And he said, I ran for office and I was on the education committee. And I could not imagine giving a $41 to educate a black man. And he says, I looked at all those panels while you were going to lunch. And he says, you know what? I have never looked at life through a black man's eyes. Mm-hmm. And he reached in his pocket and he gave me a $10,000 check. Oh, buying his guilt. He says, you gotta. You, you must have some expenses, you know. Uh, and he walked away. And the man was crying. Now here's the that man was. late 60-year-old man, ex clan guy that had gone through one of my memorials and was crying because he didn't understand what this was all about because he was a white bigot, and now he got converted. So, thanks. (laughs)
3: We want to thank Ed Dwight so much for that insight. And it's a perfect place just to have a quick conversation about memorials and monuments. And they've certainly been the topic of a lot of controversy and discussion in the last couple of years about the placement and meaning of numerous uh, monuments around the country located in st- um, state houses, in parks, on college campuses. We certainly saw what happened in Charlottesville and other situations like that. So I'm going to just have a very brief, brief conversation here about uh, about what you're saying, about the message. And, and as you mentioned, a lot of these monuments, especially Confederate monuments, popping up as late as the 1960s. A reminder that uh, you got to pay attention to us and not the other way around. Do not forget what happened, as that man told you. So let me just ask real quickly, uh, do these monuments and memorials, um, do they engage the entire community? Should we get into battles over you know, statues and men on horses? And I'm going to throw this at the commissioner first because uh, I know this is a conversation that you all have had to have uh, kind of off the record.
4: Mr. Dwight has certainly done a great job, but he, he's given the answer already. Mm-hmm. But, but I do think it's, it's worth it, uh, obviously. I think we've been fortunate here in Houston. Uh, the Chronicle, you know, our, our main paper in particular really took on the issue, uh, along with Garnet Coleman, of changing the name of Dialing right. to Emancipation right. and really laid out the history. I think when you have that third-party messaging, mm-hmm. as opposed to just coming from a black person, uh, does help. But look, in the county, We've got, in my precinct, a Robert E. Lee Mm -hmm. uh, Street, and it's coming down. Uh, It would have come down before Harvey, and I made sure we picked up all of the trash and everything on that street, but it's coming down. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Look, I think the symbols are important, Mm -hmm. and they really do teach all of us a lesson. Uh, And we ought to make sure we don't uh, let people rewrite history. So I think it is important. I hope the city, I'm going to do anything I can to help uh, get rid of those statutes. But I also want to focus more on the other side, uh, which is why initially we lived through it. Um, we were trying to name the airport mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, after Mickey Leland. And not because he was a, a friend of mine. I worked for him. But to my knowledge, well, there's, there was no airport in America named after an African-American. Right. Right. Uh, 28... Uh, 29 years ago uh, There's the Tom Bradley terminal out there. Look, I think the resistance that I went through I wouldn't have done it if I didn't have the eight votes that was required number in writing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I went to the family Allison Leland is here. Uh, My wife was working Alicia was working for Mickey Leland then. and you'd be amazed at the arguments They said well you can't name an airport after somebody died in a plane crash. Because nobody wanna fly in. So I didn't have a big commission staff. I had to do the research real quick with that little three person council staff. Turns out many airports around the world are named after pilots yeah. who died in battle, yeah. in wars. Then they said, Well, it's already named after somebody. Who? Sam Houston. I said, So I guess Buffalo Bayou's named after Buffalo Bill. Bill. <laughs> I mean they just make up stuff and but so when I, when I lost the votes, I was still raising Cain. You remember the N international comment yeah. that was made, which almost yep. created riots. Right. So although the family, Allison didn't agree, I backed up because they threw some money on the table. Mm-hmm. I knew I was gonna lose. I wouldn't get the votes mm-hmm. when they delayed it 30 days. And uh, so I knew I could get some money. I was trying to get 100,000. And Ed, you, you gave us a cut. Uh, that, well, I wanted a black sculptor to do it. I knew about you because of Amelia Parker in D.C. She used to work with Black Caucus, and because Mickey Leland was into the black cowboy thing. Mm-hmm. And that was your thing back then. <laughs> and I wanted a black sculptor to do it. And so I was told I could tr- get to, to Ed White in Denver, or I could get to Elizabeth Catley, and she was in Mexico. Mm-hmm. So now, I tell I was hell, a bit quicker to a lot of Mexico than a lot of Colorado, <laughs> uh, and, and you know, particularly in terms of the timing when I when I got the fund, the funding because it was in the winter. Uh, but you know, I, I met Ed, we did it, and when you look at the piece, it's in the program. It really is an iconic piece because I learned about you. You tell a narrative, right? Right. And when we did the one. Uh, at the state capitol, you tell a narrative. I, I do, I'll, I'll close on this because she's given my speech. She's done, <laughs> done a great job. Uh, you know, I remember some controversy that we got on our end. Legislators, they didn't want the, uh, the chains on the slaves. I remember, well, hell, you think we're stupid? You yeah. think they were volunteering? <laughs> I mean, some people were offended. Mm-hmm. Now imagine somebody's offended because the chains are there. But to go back to your original question, I wouldn't be offended to go down Robert E. Lee Boulevard. Mm-hmm. Not only am I offended, I'd be embarrassed. You know, I, I just look back when I was young, and didn't have the stature or the uh, clarity of thought that I have now.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: And I wouldn't have had the courage to say I was offended by seeing a Confederate flag.
3: Yeah.
4: Uh, or to have a debate at Robert E. Lee High School. Of course I knew it, but I just walked passively in silence with my anger. Uh, So I think it's both. First you get those down when they're inaccurate about history, and you also tell the true story in such a way that hopefully it evokes the kind of emotion uh, that the distinguished gentleman in South Carolina had. Well,
3: I want to ask uh, Dr. Wardlaw. Uh, there is perhaps one of the best examples of, of a monument to an ideal and to a person right out here, and that is the Broken Obelisk, uh, which was dedicated by the Demonelles to uh, Martin Luther King. Yes. and. My dad tells this story, I assume for the most part there is a lot of truth to it, that it was offered to the city of Houston as a public memorial in in the name of Martin Luther King back in the early 60s and they said, "Uh, thanks but no thanks, or perhaps it was the late 60s. Um, Tell us a little bit about that and what that monument means.
5: I was walking around the monument before I came in and um, all of that history came back to me and that piece is iconic in so many Ways um, and it speaks to its presence here in front of Rothko Chapel mm-hmm. speaks to the history of this city. This was in 1968, soon after the assassination okay. of Dr. King. The Dominils had offered to match a grant that the city received to purchase this Barnett Newman, and as you know, he was a great modernist sculptor. So. The Municipal Arts Commission was very excited about getting this piece. Um, The Dominells had, um, with that match, the request that it be dedicated to the memory of Dr. King. Well, when I was doing the article um, for the book on the Dominells, I worked in the archives. And the material that you would find was fascinating because it was being bounced around from the Art Commission to Mayor Louis Welch back to the Domenils like a hot potato. Yeah. They wanted the Barnett Newman and all of the cachet mm-hmm. that that would lend the city, but they could not accept this plaque, this dedication. So Jean Domenil speaking truth and power, to power, spoke to city council. He requested a meeting to speak directly to them after it kept, Anne Holmes had written, the art critic at the time had written um, this article saying we really want this piece, but yeah, this, this would set a precedent. And in summary, Jean Dominil simply said, sometimes it is important to set precedence. Mm-hmm. And if not now, 10, when 10, yeah. would we honor this man? That piece originally was supposed to be in the reflection pool in front of City Hall.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
5: Mm-hmm. So the Dominells determined, fine. We want it this way. They bought the piece themselves. And in designing the chapel, worked with Barnett Newman and establish the reflection pool. Yeah. And it's that kind of um, intense determination and sense of what is right for a community that set the Dominells aside in a, in a different, set them apart mm-hmm. from the rest of the, the powers that were at that time.
3: Well, I do want to give you all a chance to ask a couple of questions, but uh, I had just one or two more, and I especially want to include uh, Mr. Dwight in all of this. Um, There are a lot of things that I think we all thought had changed, certainly in the last nine years when Obama was president. The country has now reached this point of maturity or this point of diversity. And then 2016 happened. And we realize that perhaps a lot of things have not changed. So I want to just briefly talk about the issue of race and race relations. And as somebody who spends a lot of time poring over history books, so you can translate that into something visible that people can, can react emotionally to, um, do you find yourself encouraged or disheartened by where we are today?
2: Uh, no, I mean I, I'm a I'm a kind of a kind of a positive guy, and 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 I have fought a, a some against some very very great things. Some are won, some are lost, and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. But the answer is resounding. Uh, we're, I, I'm I'm upbeat and positive about this whole. I mean, because not, we have an opportunity now. It's all couched in uh, raising cash. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, because uh, I would call for a 50 million dollar uh, uh, deposit and, and addressing the right people to get that done with my little crazy vision that mm-hmm. I have about getting things done, where, where, where we have a 50 a 50 a 50 million dollar pool, uh, and, and what I would like to do is organize uh, our our black producers, our black sculptors, uh, because what happens, uh, everything they're doing a the memorial. the the black artist gets screwed Mm -hmm. royally on the amount of money that he gets. It could be a quarter of a million dollar project. He might walk away with $40,000. And and the way this whole thing is set up, the the construction company, the foundry, and the granite guy, and all of these guys come along. And where you think you're walking around with this quarter of a million dollar deal, uh, you know, all the money is being peeled out. Uh, to, uh, to 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 the system, and the system ain't black. Right, uh, let me right. put it through that way. So so those things we need to come together and coalesce on, and have some large conversation in the in the black and the white community where people who sympathize with this, uh, and and to pull this together because what has happened since those uh, 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 they start taking those memorials down. Every black person in the United States of America say, well, they've taken them down. We got a chance to build a bunch of them and I'm, I'm inundated with mm-hmm. projects that mm-hmm. uh, have to do with, we want to do a memorial because, uh, and we're going to throw it in their face because we're going to melt the bronze and uh, the Confederate guy. And we're going to pour that bronze into a <laughs> into, into a justice piece, you know. And I said, well, that's that's a little off the, a little off the wall for me. But no, I'm I'm seriously encouraged. But we we have a lack of training. There's no place to go to learn how to build a memorial. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 the people that they that they think uh, will help do that. Uh, uh, Because the guy won an election and he just got in and and somebody was the head of this club and somebody the head of that club and we put them on these committees. They don't know anything about art. And and so it's hard to talk to them about some of the things that that artists need to talk to them about uh, rather than getting people who have resources to help this thing along. But I am tr- truly uh, very, very interested in raising about $50 million. To be uh, able to uh, build those memorials To be able, the And then uh, I would like, my dream state would be to have a, a, a national coalition uh, of value uh, of award laws, I mean, I'm serious about this. So, you know, I so, said, so, okay, uh, you, you like you want a memorial here, I got Ron Carter, I got, I got uh, Harriet Tubman in, in Buford that I gotta do. I got Ron Carter up here. I got uh, another Dr. King came up uh, two days ago, there's $5 million. And I got all these things coming up, you know? And my problem is, first of all, I can't find the help. Right. Right. I can't find right. people. You can't physically right. do them all. Right. Right. right, right, you know? Right. So well, what I'm saying to you, if we could get a, core, a, 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 a coordinated group of people, it wouldn't be a full-time job, but we would meet every now and then and say, look, uh, if, if some enterprising guy could go out and raise $50 million, uh, and, they, and they would come, and the artists, every one of the artists would get something out of this thing, but we would ensure that they made some money so, they're, so they could be the Ed Dwight, because I'm 84 years old, I'm about right. to right. take a walk here for long, you know, <laughs> one way or the other. <laughs> Somehow I think you're gonna be doing uh, things uh, But, uh, But you know, but I'd, I'd be happy to, to work sure, with that, to teach, sure, t- t- teach sure. these kids how to do this. Right. yeah. us hope you're, you're taking a flight,
4: not a walk. Flight, you're going up. Yeah,
5: right? exactly. I just wanted to, I to, and then I want to turn it over to what I was saying, because the, the public um, art, circle is very mm-hmm. small. Mm-hmm. And many of our artists, as you know, they suffer. It's like a vicious circle. They enter a competition, but if they're an emerging sculptor and they don't have foundry experience, then they don't want to take a chance yeah. on them. You yeah. know? But if they don't get a commission where they can have that foundry experience, mm-hmm. They're never going to be in that pool, but a a coalition, like you were saying, to provide those experiences for younger artists is, is really critical.
3: But I do want to pull the conversation up, even from art, if you all will forgive me, and to ask you about race relations, and whether you take heart or you're frustrated, certainly we've seen over the last few days the uh, uh, controversy swirling about the comments made by the president. We've seen a lot of division politically. Do you feel more hopeful about race relations or more disheartened?
4: Obviously, what's coming out of the White House creates uh, more of a a challenge, but when I look at the media coverage about it and the discussions that are going on, for well, that fringe element, obviously, uh, the president tends to activate them, but mm-hmm. you know, you see what we went through in Harvey, mm-hmm. as an example, mm-hmm. and how people could get beyond race when there's a crisis. So I, I, I think as long as they are the sustained discussions, now I may feel differently if his third of the electorate, that is his base that he's stoking all the time. Now, if we stupid enough, let him get back in in four years, I might have a, a, a two years yeah. three years look yeah. it's like he's been there yeah. for three years he's been there one year, oh, so yeah. now, if that happens again, I, you know an accident could happen once and if it happens again, so before I call for the revolution, knowing it'll be televised on <laughs> Twitter or Facebook, you know I sometimes you make mistakes, yeah you know stuff happens yeah it's about. Youngest child says, so I hope that's the case. Look, I want to make this point on, on funding mm-hmm. for these messages from art. That's a big challenge. Yeah, it, it is. I can't remember the total number. When most of these Confederate monuments, monuments were put up, it was cheaper mm-hmm. to go get a bronze mm-hmm. or a cast. It's a lot more expensive now. And on yours, what's the total number? It's all public. What, what did it come to? It come to about two, two and a half? I know you gave us a cut three. What did we get to? What did it cost? Uh, you mean like, the Texas one the, Texas? At, no, at the Capitol? No, no, no.
2: It was right at three. In
4: the, yeah, the right at three. Right that didn't count to two. And we blew because I We mean, blew we there mean a thousand, hundred, million. million, okay. Yeah, million. three million. <laughs> I just want to clarify. You know, we had a, a few mistakes along the way. I must say, giving credit to uh, Sylvester Turner, by the way. Yeah. I mean, I put some money in when I had to pay in as finance chair in 2001, mm-hmm. and I had to do, obviously, both an African-American and a Hispanic mm-hmm. one. When Ann Richards was in, I mean, we didn't put any uh, public money in, but a governor could raise the money mm-hmm. to do one to, uh, to uh, pay homage to women. It should have been bigger. They probably should have raised more money to go and do it, uh, but uh, then the Hispanics, the business community got together and matched it. Yeah. And on the African-American one, we had some issues, and we won't go into now, let that, let that go you know
3: yeah
4: uh, but uh, when Turner became mayor it helped on the fundraising and uh, to the extent I can do that as a commissioner with some public funds and ability hopefully to raise more private money but look and, and people of goodwill black white and brown I want to mention about the Hispanic community as well and how their history yeah yeah is overlooked Oh, and it is so important, particularly in a city as diverse as ours. Absolutely. We've got to figure out how everybody's story gets out there. All
3: right. I want to take the last five, six, seven minutes and take a couple of questions. Um, and I see a few hands here. It's a little hard in the light. Do we have a mm-hmm. microphone? Great. If you can bring it up front, that would be great. Ah, you found somebody already. Okay. I see. Yes, yeah. ma'am. Hello. Hi. Hi. Um, I just wanted to know. Um, If you had any uh, input on the uh, Martin Luther King Monument in Washington, D.C.? You're asking me? Yeah. Yes. You're the only sculptor sculptor at the table. (laughs)
2: uh, You just opened up a can of worms. (laughs) No, that was my project, Mm -hmm. okay? I designed it. It was approved by the National Fine Arts Commission, and I don't carve stone. So uh, uh, they they against my uh, wishes they contacted this Chinese guy mm-hmm. that was in Denver working for me, okay, uh, and somebody a wise guy in Washington decided that we we had tried to explain to them. See, Daniel Chester French didn't carve the Lincoln Memorial. The Lapini brothers in Italy carved that thing, but he designed it, okay. And so they see subcontracted out to the Lapini brothers and they put it on boats and brought it up and put it together, he managed it. I tried to tell these guys, this is how this is done. Mm-hmm. I'm this designer, and they said, well, we don't need you anymore, we'll just give the money straight to the Chinese guy. Uh, so I naturally just kind of walked away. They offered me a lot of money to, to uh, uh, you know, and I, I said, I don't want I don't want, want your money. But hey, anyway, that was my project, and, and you see what it turned out to be, and I'm not very happy with it at all, mm-hmm. because, uh, 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 they ended up with a design that was not mine.
3: Interesting point, yeah. Uh, Yes ma'am, go ahead.
5: Think ever onward, alumni, big blue. But when I left, I intentionally was the number one salesperson in all of North America, As none of us had ever done it. The only ones who tell me to keep it quiet look like us. That breaks my heart. That having been IBM's number one salesperson out of 50,000 people, teams, we, tell me, keep it quiet. And what I did is what I know other people in AT&T and other companies have done. It's like the Academy Award of Business. What do you say to our younger people about understanding that your neighbor next door may have been a record breaker? Or may have been the top, or the first, or whatever, okay. and that we should be looking at each other in a whole other light.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, the larger community, had, you know, has really set up a system, and the same thing the guy at White House has done of uh, of, of, uh, of mistrust, of people not liking each other on purpose, mm-hmm. uh, so so they can so they can keep that that whole thing. I, uh, I quit out being for a couple of reasons, uh, and, and 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 one of the reasons why I taught. They put me in charge of recruiting for the seven state area, uh, and and I was hiring these white former boys, like you won't believe. Uh, and they had to be between five eleven and six one. They had to have a crew cut and all these things. And and I'm telling my boys, I said, I'm i going to use that as a rule. I said, what about me? I'm I'm five foot four, and you know I don't have a crew cut and all that kind of stuff. So so I brought two of the top. A computer. One lady had a PhD in computer technology in, 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 uh, in Ohio. She had computerized the Ohio public school system hmm. and they wouldn't hire her. And I said, Bob, what, what are you doing? What, are, you, are you crazy? And guy, he looked at me and said, Dwight, we have you. We don't need any more. Hmm. Uh, you know, and I'm going, this is absolutely nuts. You know. He says, one will get us all our government contracts and all the things we need, we just need one. Hmm. And so, so you, you have that kind of, kind of dissension. Uh, in, in my case, uh, they, they kept, and that's why I, part of the reason why I left IBM, because oh, of the hypocrisy. And they're telling me they, well, they're gonna make me the first black vice president of IBM, and I'm complicit with that kind of crap. Somebody else had a question yeah. over here.
3: This, this young lady right here. I don't, I don't know if our mic, do you still have it? Oh, she's passing it on. Here she is right here in the red jacket. Um, thank you first of all for this, this panel because it's very important. We really do not know the impact of memorials and what they're intended for. How many people here know the intention of the Statue of Liberty? The intention Liberty. of the Statue of Liberty? The Statue of Liberty came as a black woman in chains mm-hmm. to uh, edify everybody in the world that we have been released and freed. Okay. The chains are still at her feet, mm-hmm. but how many people know the whole story? Mm-hmm. Right. So thank you for telling the story of these
4: memorials. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I knew that. I'm just glad it wasn't here. They'd taken it down.
2: <laughs> 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 they
3: changed the message. Yeah, yeah. yeah That's yeah, what yeah. I'm talking about. They yeah.
2: changed right. the message. The message. Yeah. Yeah. I think
3: we can take one more question, and then we'll, yeah. do you have somebody over on this side? or All right. Yes, thank you very much. Um, You mentioned that uh, your father
5: was not happy about your proposition that you become an artist and he encouraged you to go into engineering. We hear that so often that um, parents are concerned that if their children become artists or they get involved in any way in the artistic community that they're not gonna have any money and that they're going to be suffering and increasingly more that they're going to be living with their parents. So, how do you encourage a whole generation of young people to choose in favor of the arts uh, and, and to
3: marry the other disciplines with the arts to have a viable career? That's a great question. Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: you know, I do, lot, I do a lot of art shows, and you know, and, and, and it goes back to this, this serving. this. Uh, uh, what I'm upset about, is that most of the art, because I get the results of their education, Swarthmore, Rhode Island School of Design, and they come to Denver, and these are both black and white kids, and they don't know anything about anything. Because in in, in today's market, what happens, we're only functioning with a portion of these kids' brains today. Mm-hmm. Because it has a huge portion of their brains that are sucked up with these earphones and stuff <laughs> and, and so you 're competing uh, you know and I'm, this is not a direct answer to the question uh, about how, how do you encourage uh, uh, these kids to make money at art uh, I, I bring them into my studio and, and, and but the overhead of my studio is sixty five thousand dollars a month Wow. That means every month with I sell a piece of art or to do a memorial, it's still sitting there. And that's just the base part. When I do other stuff, we can get up to $90,000 a month. I got this huge, gigantic studio. And I have to explain to you know, that this is, this is as much about money as it is about art. Because if you can't survive, you can't do art. And we're having difficulty. And I think the educators here would, would, would agree with me. That you know, we we we've got to change the ante on how we teach these kids in art schools about uh, uh, and it doesn't and it's not going to take away from any creative skills that they bring to the table. But I've been successful basically because I had a basic business degree before, you know, a business you know kind of work and run companies and management that has allowed me to survive in in this thing, and, and my difficulty is translating that too, because, well, that ain't got nothing to do with art, you know? And, and so, and so that's, my, that's my challenge, and that's my problem uh, with these kids, because I sit down with them constantly, take that, and they'll sit down with an interview with, with their ears plugged, I mean, take that crap out of your ear, let's sit down and talk. And, and, and I, I, I really hate to say, uh, I, 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 I want this legacy to go on. And I want somebody to, to come into the space and respect what I've done and take care of what I've done and be the caretaker of what I've done because I've got a couple universities that are fighting for my archives. They want to take my whole studio, move it someplace and, and, you know, and leave it exactly like it is uh, and pay me a lot of money for it and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, And I can't find anybody. And I, I, tr- I try to appeal with their brains. And I try to appeal with their higher nature. I try to appeal with all these things, You know, art, uh, is is a, is a is a thing that you make, uh, and, and it doesn't do any good if you leave it in your basement for the rest of your life. So you got to sell it, move it, and do another piece and sell it, move it, so you can pay your rent and go take your girlfriend out every now and then. So so so, so it, it, it's a challenge. And that uh, that was a, when they cut me off. That was where I was going next. Yeah. <laughs> so. So um, yeah, you know it, it, it is a challenge, uh, but uh, you know you know you know the art schools has some responsibility in in this, uh, uh, you know to sit down and talk to the kids every and, and you know throw a business class in there, throw some of these other kind of classes into the into the art thing and uh, and you know have them study artists. Uh, Rothko, uh, by the way, was was my when I was getting my masters. Uh, uh, I didn't study his art because he he, he he wasn't my style. I studied what he did and how much money he made, what was his problems getting exhibits, what was happening in his studio. He had some problems at uh, the tail end of his career, a whole bunch of problems with the ownership of his own body of work. And all that stuff was going on. And I studied this guy intently to see what can I, you know, because I have things missing out of my studio, and he had paintings missing out of his studio. <laughs> he come to work and raise hell with all his workers. Said, Where'd that painting go? You know, yeah. and I've had the same problem. You know, because I travel a lot and all that stuff. So, but those are the, or that's the downstroke that you got to take with it. But to answer your question, it is a task. It is a chore, but it's needed to any of these kids that want to be artists. That, that that they include these kinds of. I mean, throw some business stuff. What are you going to do after you? you What kind of art are you going to make? Is it really going to make you any money? Uh, uh, Otherwise, why bother to go to school? Just keep making that stuff and put it in your basement and leave it alone.
3: (laughs) Well, I'm going to let that be the last word. We're just a couple of minutes behind schedule, and I want you all to be able to enjoy your time out on the plaza. I want to thank each of our panelists so much for their time and for their insight tonight. Really appreciate it. Uh, Commissioner Ellis, Dr. Wardlaw, and obviously our guest speaker, Mr. Dwight. I also want to thank the Rothko Chapel for putting this on and for being so uh, patient with us tonight as we we dove into some interesting topics. And I want to let you all know that the weather will be cold tomorrow. (laughs) I'm sure you're interested. Uh, But what it's looking like is it will not be so bad in the morning. It'll be pretty terrible in the afternoon. So if you're smart, you'll uh, work from home or you'll leave early, whatever. So that's my job is to tell you a little bit of the news. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here tonight. We appreciate it. Thank
1: you very much. I have just a I have just a few closing words. I warned you all that we were gonna have more knowledge and content to cover than what we had time for. The good news is that we do get to resume this conversation on the plaza. I'd like to ask, since we have so many people in the space, if you could use the two center aisles to exit. And our guests are gonna be exiting out of the side door. They'll meet you outside. Thank you all.